Welcome to HealthCast, the heartbeat of health IT. I'm your host, Melissa Harris. We're about two years into the COVID-19 pandemic, and over the course of that time, a lot has changed. We've gone from genome mapping COVID-19 in January 2020 to having the first emergency use authorizations for COVID vaccines in less than a year. Every day, we're pushing to learn more as the virus evolves. U.S. federal health agencies have played a large role in these developments, and one of those agencies is the National Library of Medicine. Nested within NLM is a well of resources and data around COVID-19. They have the genomic mapping of COVID for researchers to access. They've built a library of scientific literature around COVID-19 with its lit COVID tool and updated clinicaltrials.gov to include a massive variety of COVID-related clinical trials. Across these resources that NLM has developed, we've come to learn a ton more about COVID and understand how building the right infrastructure around data can drive science at speed. We're going to hash this out more today with Dr. Stephen Sherry, the NLM National Center for Biotechnology's Acting Director. Together, we'll learn more about how today's research data is becoming tomorrow's driver of public health policy. All right, Dr. Sherry, thank you so much for joining us on HealthCast today. Oh, hi. Thanks, Melissa. So amid the COVID-19 pandemic, which has been going on for quite a while now, the National Library of Medicine has formed a variety of resources around the virus, from collections of coronavirus-related clinical trials to literature on SARS-CoV-2, the GenBank data. Can you explain what these tools are and how NLM has developed them amid all of this high demand for and influx of COVID-19 data? I'm sure. I'd be happy to. So I guess to answer the most fundamental question, it's kind of what are we dealing with here? The Library of Medicine provides coronavirus-related tools and services around three general domains. These are genetic information, literature, published information and digital literature, and uh, clinical standards protocols. So in, and I'll kind of go through these three sets for kind of tools and the responses that we've done. Uh, in genetic information, we have two large uh, data repositories, GenBank and the Sequence Read Archive. They house the latest genetic information data that's been submitted by researchers and clinical health labs from all over the world. And to assist submitters with getting this data into our archives, we've worked quickly, I guess, over the early part of the pandemic to automate these pipelines. That way we can handle the data, make it easier to submit, we can uh, make it a available faster uh, from the moment of submission to when it's released, you know, on the website or in one of our data APIs. And we can ensure that our pipelines are scaling in tandem with these increased rates of data submission. So that's all investment that's kind of infrastructure-y and maybe wonky, but it really ensured that we could uh, scale to provide uh, services for the millions of records that have been generated in the last two years. And maybe later on, we can talk a bit more about that. The second area uh, that we did in this as uh, helping with submitters to get this data into our sequence archives, we developed some tools that did automatic analysis around quality and annotation to ensure that the data as it was coming in was uh, standard and normalized and using the proper gene designations uh, to make it 
comparable to each other. So that was a, an effort to do standardization, ensure that we have data quality uh, in assembly where possible. And, and we did all this work in analysis and build these pipelines in partnership with the epidemiological surveillance and the response communities. And we're trying to ensure that our collections, these data collections and genome services were gonna be maximally useful to, in this pandemic response. So a couple that we worked with is NIH's Active Trace, the Tracking Resistance and Coronavirus Evolution Group. Uh, and I'll maybe talk a little bit about more of that later. And the CDC-led SPHERES initiative. And that was uh, a consortium of uh, the epidemiological experts from public health labs, you know, uh, contracted labs, the research universities, academia, and government office. Uh, government services all working together to figure out what's the best way to analyze and mark up these data for maximum value and interpretation and tracking COVID as the virus mutated and the, the variants have kind of moved around the world and around the country. So that's one big area. That first area is genetic information. Other areas that we worked on uh, were our literature services. And in literature, I think there were some exciting uh, tools that we created here. Uh, we started a novel open access COVID literature product in collaboration with publishers. Uh, this was uh, under the auspices of the White House Initiative for AI and Text Mining, where we could bring in uh, full text articles of uh, COVID literature and consolidate them so that researchers could go through and actually do uh, uh, new research on text mining and artificial intelligence initiatives to gather information as quickly as possible out of publications as they're emerging from around the world. Secondly, in literature, we had a product called LitCOVID that was doing some research to try to organize the evolving jargon and description of the virus early on in 2019 and 2020 and uh, consolidate those into standardized queries so that uh, investigators and users of the literature could quickly find the latest publications around surveillance, diagnosis, therapeutics, evolutionary properties of the virus, regardless of the abbreviations that were being used. So the, these lit COVID uh, product concepts were added to PubMed clinical queries so that users of our flagship product, PubMed, could quickly use these concepts in their uh, regular research and uh, discovery around the virus. Finally, there was this uh, effort that we did through our uh, partners, NLM, the library is also a, a grant awarding institution that uh, supports research. And so we were supporting research on uh, Trek COVID, which was conducting a pandemic information retrieval test collection. And this supports community-wide evaluation of pandemic information retrieval questions and answers. So in artificial intelligence, being able to ask questions and get answers uh, from AI systems is an important area of research. And so providing them with some test information around COVID allowed them to start uh, accelerating the deployment of information about how to find vaccines, how to find tests, how to understand symptomology of the virus. The final area that we worked on was standards and protocols. And I think this is an exciting area too. Uh, we uh, work with a, um, a major registry, clinicaltrials.gov, and this is our portal for uh, federally funded uh, clinical studies. And we created a portal within that that's uh, dedicated to COVID-19 so that uh, researchers, investigators, and the public, uh, clinical practitioners could find uh, federally funded clinical studies that were related to COVID-19 
in real time as they were being created. We also supported the WHO's trial registry network for COVID-19 studies and also included NIH's COVID-19 treatment guidelines. So that was all available and consolidated for uh, rapid information about uh, medical research and, and investigation into medical practices. Uh, there was additional tools that we did around uh, Medline Plus and indexing for COVID-19 and uh, insertion of new COVID-related terminologies in our unified medical language system. Uh, finally, we updated some of our other standard databases, such as RxNorm, to allow for provisional drug coverage uh, for COVID treatment, and we added COVID-19 tests to the genetic testing registry. So, you know, all in all, I think uh, in this time, NLM tried to pivot in many areas to uh, deliver new services or maybe calibrate or fine-tune some of our existing products and offerings with new dimensionality that could support discovery and information access around COVID-19. That's fantastic and is really just so many different areas that are impressive for helping us understand and access information for COVID-19. You were just mentioning there how you sort of had some tools beforehand and just expanded off of those, but can you explain how NLM leveraged these digital tools and data infrastructure and automation capabilities that it already had before the pandemic to set up all these new resources around COVID-19? Um, sure, Melissa. I think the, maybe the best way to think about that is uh, understanding you know, that we operate many infrastructure systems. Uh, that uh, involve trying to organize and uh, check the quality of information and distribute it as rapidly as possible to the public. And so we had been in a process of moving some of our flagship systems, such as PubMed, which I mentioned earlier, into the cloud itself. And so the cloud is a new, exciting platform for information processing. And uh, we in the library are really keen to try to leverage it as much as possible because it provides a new opportunity to bring compute, least compute instances directly next to the giant data stores that we manage. And this is something we've never been able to offer uh, to the public through our on-premises data platforms or data services. We simply don't have enough computing hardware to let the public in and run computer code next to the, the data itself. But with the data in the cloud, that allowed us to do things like build uh, compute workflows uh, that would uh, that are cloud-based application chains that could do COVID-19 uh, sequence assembly and data quality processing and variant classification around uh, new submissions coming in in real time so that we could keep up with the global surveillance. And that was all based on this investment we made on getting the data, the SRA sequence read archive data framework in the cloud and connected to these uh, computing work environments. In a similar vein, some of our uh, flagship products, such as the RefSeq collection, involve uh, targeted efforts to compile sets of genes that have roles in coronavirus infection and disease, and that's based on expert curation. We have a team of these uh, subject matter experts that work across all sorts of biological domains and they could rally together and focus their efforts directly on SARS-CoV-2 and the properties of coronavirus. So that having that staff already set up with experts in virology and experts in genome assembly present and together allowed for kind of a rapid pivot to the new need. Uh, on the literature side, we could look at the preprint pilot service. This is something NIH was starting to look at uh, preprints in PubMed Central and PubMed. 
These are uh, articles that are directly funded by NIH in terms of research. And the idea was, can we put them up as a library, as a preprint server? And that kind of infrastructure allowed us to quickly leverage other new publication types around SARS-CoV-2 that we could host for the public in the full text access. I think other examples might be uh, refactoring PubMed Central for article ingest and distribution. Those again were infrastructure investments, well-timed that we could uh, bring in the data and the, the, the text that we need and uh, present it in new ways to users. Were there any challenges that you encountered amid all of this scaling up and repurposing of infrastructure and technologies that you had? COVID has certainly been evolving very quickly, so I'm sure that there were a number of challenges with all the demand for COVID-19 data and information. Yeah, there really was. I, I think our biggest challenge right now has been organizing all the data, the tools and resources that are now connected to COVID-19 and SARS-CoV-2. You know, we've got uh, 2.9 million runs in the Sequence Read Archive. Uh, we've got 3.5 million sequence records in GenBank. There's over 3,000 clinical trials. There's over 250,000 articles around COVID in PubMed Central. So, Organizing the data, keeping it connected, cross-indexed, uh, timely, has been new work, right? And uh, new work that needs kind of a real-time attention to it. Um, we're also providing new tools. These are targeted tools and resources around COVID, and we're doing this while carrying out our existing mission, which is generally to support biotechnical information across public research in biomolecular health and, and, and genome evolution, not just around viruses, right? So it, uh, NIH has a broad investment in uh, biotechnology and genome sequencing and literature and the publication of all of the research we carry out. That all is ongoing work. And the new work, the ongoing work is all being done for the last two years with a, a staff, a library staff that has been 100% remote. So this is uh, staff working from home, logging into their on-premises computers or servers, and still managing to do all of this work and having the coordinating calls, in in the planning calls, the strategic calls, all of the you know development effort being done remotely. You know, with families around, like many other parts of government, just pitching in and uh, trying to carry on to the work while our offices were shut down and and staff were sent home. Right. So now that you provide the data around COVID-19 and all these different resources, how have you seen that repository or those repositories that you've established impacting NIHs and the scientific community's ability to study COVID-19 and share data? So I think this has been an exciting time to showcase the value of open data. And what we do, you know, recall that GenBank and, and SRA and, and all our literature offerings are completely open to the public. So anybody can get access to the data without restriction. And this is promoting what we call in, in, in this area fair principles for findable, accessible, interoperable, and reusable. So these are all properties of data we try to ascribe or you know, achieve in, in good engineering and good data science practices because that in allows the value of the data to endure. The more people that can work with the data, the more minds can think about it, discoveries can be found, data can be reused to answer different questions over time. 
Uh, so having that data organized and uh, well-indexed and made available in platforms where people are trying to do work has been uh, an investment, but I think it does help support impact and it supports uh, the acceleration of scientific discovery. You know, early on in the in the pandemic, uh, we had the first complete genome in GenBank in January 2020. So this was just, you know, a few weeks after the first reports were coming out of um, labs that were doing the initial sequencing and having a complete genome that's been uh, annotated and numbered creates a scaffold or a reference against which publications can now systematically talk about changes in mutation, changes in genes, changes in, you know, the variants. It's the, it's the underlying framework by which we understand how Omicron is different from Delta and a different from Beta, which was like so last year, right? So as the virus evolves, you know, these standards that we've created give us a context to understand that and communicate that efficiently and effectively with investigators around the world. Uh, the library also has an intramural research component that helps support the scientific discovery itself. So we've got a computational biology branch that's been contributing directly to the body of basic science around the virus and its evolution. We have a bioinformatic framework for wastewater-based surveillance of infectious diseases. That's uh, work in uh, one of our investigators is doing in collaboration with grantees and a larger wastewater surveillance effort nationally. In our Lister Hill Center, we have clinical and radiological signs of pulmonary disease that were caused by novel coronavirus have been uh, digitized and uh, exported and packaged for analysis in AI systems to look quickly for these uh, new distinctive forms of uh, medical signature of infection and maybe targets for therapy and intervention. So in another way that we use the data just going forward, I've alluded to surveillance, but I think surveillance is a major part of where we're at in the pandemic right now. So all of the data as it continues to come in uh, is scanned on a, a daily and weekly basis to create reports to the research community and to the pharmaceutical community about what's coming and what's emerging. So as variants like Omicron now or Delta before it uh, first appear and start moving around the world, these ongoing surveillance activities allow us to understand where there's hot spots of uh, dangerous variations. It allows us to look at the sequences themselves and understand how the mutations uh, in the sequences interact with our portfolio of therapeutic and diagnostic products to make sure that we still have strategies and techniques and, and products that can be medically valuable in intervention and which variants might be at risk and, and challenge us that we have to do some new research and innovation because they're starting to escape, you know, the protective profile of our portfolio right now. So those are all kind of the, the, the practical region where the, the data in genomic science does become a common good against which medical research and productization in the whole medical diagnostic industry can take action. So that's kind of an exciting place to be because I think it's helping all of that industry and that uh, pandemic response for public health and for public good. It, it tries to be uh, organized and efficient and, and, and happen as quickly as possible, which matters because there's lives on this line every day that we're trying to save. Truly. And I think it was really fascinating hearing you talk about just then about how this data is not only fueling research, but the way 
we consider the public health response to COVID-19. With all of the data that you have and different tools like automation, how have these emerging technologies like natural language processing, machine learning, or AI help you handle COVID-19 literature and data? So I think that, you know, I mentioned lit COVID at the beginning, uh, and that's an exciting project because that's where we were trying to discover these COVID-specific classification terms. Um, and we were trying to incorporate them into PubMed's general clinical query interface. Lit COVID was a research product from uh, Dr. Jean Lu's lab. He's an investigator within our computational biology branch. Uh, he identified early needs to gather the latest literature in PubMed when the nomenclature for the pandemic was still evolving. And so there was a whole host of terms, you know, about, you know, whether it was called SARS-2 or called coronavirus, or coronavirus-2, just the names of both the, the virus and the names of the disease. So, you know, as authors were writing their articles and using different terms, nothing was standard yet, finding out a natural, an AI-given uh, framework for a detecting these new publications, gathering them in with uh, possible new concepts that were being introduced into the language, organizing that into a list and then creating synonymy. That's all of the work that was being driven by these uh, natural language processing techniques. And then generally the, the, the products of that, the concepts coming out of that was inserted into PubMed so that general users could uh, basically use all of that uh, uh, synonymy transparently without even any awareness that there had been some natural language processing on the back end to make all of those new synonyms quickly available. Another example of AI is actually some software called Pangolin that our team uses. And this is community software that's being used by the viral uh, epidemiological surveillance community. And it has machine learning at its core uh, when it's constructing the viral lineages that are then grouped and, and clustered into the variant sets that we understand as Delta or Omicron or Beta. They, you know, so it's, it's actually using uh, a, a machine learning algorithm uh, based on the diversity of real sequences to come up with these lineage evolutionary subclades or, or clusters. So I think there's some exciting examples where uh, the technology really is, is, is helping us in a real functional way, even if it's invisible and it's kind of behind like I think many AI products will be, it's behind the products and services we use and we don't even realize it had a hand in it, but it's part of what helped bring it to market so quickly. I'm wondering, um, obviously the pandemic isn't over yet, but what have been some of the lessons learned? How are you taking the infrastructure, resources, and data that you've established into the future, um, maybe as we take on Omicron or with future health crises? Oh, thanks. I think that's a great question. Um, you know, so much of lessons learned is that I, I think first is that it is truly a blessing to have an amazing, dedicated staff. I think that the creativity, the energy, and that uh, sense of, of commitment to the mission has been critical for our success. And, you know, it, it's trying to empower the staff to do the best in, in kind of the, the, the um most impactful work they can do is, is is always exciting. And I think the pandemic has just revealed that in a very crisp way. I think another kind of lesson I've learned is that today's research database might be tomorrow's critical public health resource. You know, so 
things like SRA, which are collections of sequences for biomedical research, become you know uh, reagents for surveillance. Uh, metagenomes are becoming uh, possible sentinels for community-based transmission. Metagenomes, to recall, are the, uh, the DNA sequences we do of uh, pooled environmental samples, such as wastewater and sewage. Sounds kind of icky, but if you could imagine doing samples out of municipal sewage streams and you're looking for SARS-CoV-2, it's a very efficient, fast way to see if there's a virus in a community. You don't have to sample everyone directly. You can just start at the municipal wastewater treatment plant. And if that comes back positive, you know what's in it and you know how much, and then you can start uh, planning whether you need to do more intensive uh, surveillance or interrogation or mitigation. So all of that is coming out of a new opportunity for these genomic database resources to have an active and maybe enduring role in public health surveillance. And I think that's exciting. And I think finally, just having a supportive uh, director and leader here at the library has been a, a great opportunity too. Uh, going into the future, uh, she's been really effective, Dr. Patty Brennan, and removing roadblocks and making sure, you know, we had the uh, the resources and the uh, time availabilities to try to uh, work these issues and develop relationships with our other federal peers at FDA, CDC, to again try to be impactful as broadly as we can. So beyond research, realizing that some of these investments really do have um, a supporting role potentially in in future public health systems that deliver protection to us as community members. It's definitely an exciting time, and it'll be great to see how all of this research data not only informs research, but how we navigate public health emergencies. So thank you so much for your work and for sharing all of the effort that you've put into helping us navigate COVID-19. Well, thanks, Melissa. I appreciate the questions and your interest in what we're doing. I think um, this is exciting times for all of us. I think this is a signature of genomics, maybe stepping out of research into a broader community role as a, as a resource and a public good. And I'm just excited to you know, see what can we do to try to get all the value out of these investments that we can. HealthCast along with GovCast and CyberCast is a production of GovCIO Media and Research. For more podcasts and to check out the other shows, head to govciomedia.com. Watch out for new episodes released every Tuesday and Wednesday across our shows. You can follow all of them in your favorite podcast platform. And if you like what you heard, make sure to let us know by leaving a review. And if you have any topics you think we should look into, contact us at newsletter at gcio.com.